we are returning to Isaiah. We started Isaiah last summer, and I debated if I should return to Isaiah or not because there's so many crazy things going on in the world to address. But God's Word, as always, is just extremely applicable. And so we're just going to start right back where we left off last summer. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to look at two verses this morning, and uh, we'll continue to work our way through this passage that really runs through verse 7 in the weeks to come. But it's amazing how applicable God's Word is to everything that's going on right now. Uh, the theme of the passage is hope in the midst of anguish. Uh, for the people Isaiah was addressing during his time, they were in anguish because they were about to be invaded and conquered and uh, many of their people killed or deported and their land was going to be occupied by these foreign invaders and there was all kinds of distress that was going to come along with that, as you can imagine. We are in a society that is in anguish ourselves. We have riots and Racism and fear and crime and the virus, the pandemic and economic hardship. And uh, there is a lot of gloom and anguish around us. So this passage is going to be very applicable for us here. Isaiah was God's messenger bringing God's message to his people in a time of approaching gloom and anguish. And his, his main idea in the passage we're beginning is that it's not going to last forever. God has good plans for his people and this is just a part of that long story. And so my hope is for those who were able to gather this morning and for you watching right now is that we can get a tighter grip on this hope that God has given us in his word. And that that hope would enable us to endure hardship and give us direction in the midst of hardship. So let's just jump right in. Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9 it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. What's he talking about here? He's talking about Judah, who is about to enter into a time of gloom and anguish. He describes it at the end of chapter 8, saying in verse 21, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. There's a little description of what God's people had in store for them when the Assyrians were going to invade. But here in chapter 9, Isaiah turns and changes his tune and says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So he's saying, God is revealing to me that there's going to come a time when it's not going to feel like this anymore. There's not going to be any more gloom, a state of emotional darkness and depression. There's not going to be any more anguish. Uh, extreme distress. Um, this was a hope that would hopefully see the remnant through this Assyrian invasion. And it's the same hope that we hold to now. This is the hope that God's people have held on to throughout all kinds of gloom and anguish throughout the history of God's people, whether it's because of family issues or health issues or sin issues, regret, shame, whatever it is, there is hope for God's people. Um, so Isaiah goes on and he, he's going to describe what this hope is going to look like as it comes to fruition. Let's read on in verse 1. It says, In the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
So don't get lost in all this ancient geography here. Zebulun and Naphtali is the same area that he's talking about when he says the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. It's the same place in different terms. Zebulun and Naphtali were the first to fall to Assyria. And so he's saying that, that this, this place is going to get hit first. It's not going to be that way forever. It was be treated with contempt, but it's going to be glorious when God restores it. And so he's, he's, as he heads into verse 2, he's saying, God has shown me the future beyond this immediate future of being conquered. He has shown me a future beyond that when everything's going to be made glorious again. In verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So there'd be a time of darkness, but after that there would be a time of light, and that is the hope. He talks about two different kinds of darkness here, and I think it's really helpful, just the, the distinction. It gives us a vocabulary to understand our own experience of darkness. First, he says, the people who walked in darkness. This walking in darkness has to do with the inability to see. They had adapted to a way of life in which they were not seeing clearly and perceiving clearly. This is the, the kind of darkness uh, of the middle of the night. Uh, this same illustration I shared with the folks at 9 a.m. this morning, but two nights ago, I had to use the restroom in the middle of the night. I don't turn lights on or anything, um, so I don't wake up Meredith. Use the restroom on the way back. Meredith says she had to use the restroom as well, and uh, that seemed fine to me, whatever. I'm just going back to bed. And as I bend forward to go back to bed, apparently she was telling me she was going to the restroom because she was going to exit the bed on my side. And quite unexpectedly, my teeth impacted with the top of her head. And it was shocking to me and to her. I was on the floor. I thought for sure I had lost one of my front two teeth. And she's got a big red mark still on the top of her head. Uh, that kind of stumbling into things had become a would become a way of life for God's people during these dark times. They would be um, in a confused state without a light into their path and a lamp into their feet, stumbling through the darkness of life. It's obviously not literal, it's figurative. So there's that type of darkness, the inability to see and perceive correctly. And then he also talks about those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. This is uh, the darkness of doom and fear and hopelessness and despair. So these folks would adapt to a way of life without God's guidance, confusion and an inability to see, and they would make their dwelling in a, a land like that, that's in the valley of the shadow of death, just full of doom and despair. And so it's going to get really bad, he's saying, for his people but it's not going to be that way forever. And this is where the hope part kicks in. There's going to be a dawn of light coming. So the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So both types of darkness would be answered by light. Uh, the ability to see would return. They would gain clarity and guidance from God. Again, the lamp to their feet, the light to their path would be restored. And on them light would shine. From dwelling in a land of doom and despair, they would dwell in a land of hope and joy. And that's what he goes on into in verse 3. But I, I chose to stop here at verse 2 um, for a number of reasons. But one, because I wasn't sure how things were going to go outside. I didn't want to have too much content to go over. 
But we'll go ahead and, and land here and start to ask the questions, where do we fit into all of this? It is common for us to view ourselves as modern individuals living in the year 2020, bouncing off of whatever current events are happening right now. The Bible enables us to step back and see the fuller picture and place ourselves in the long line of God's people who have lived through all kinds of times of gloom and anguish and hope during the process of God bringing about his purposes in reality. The Bible roots us in the history of God and the history of God's people and gives us God's perspective so that we will not be completely consumed with only the events of right now and the headlines of today, but that we'll be able to see the trajectory of God's historic people throughout all time. We are the current expression of God's people and God's plan. So Isaiah's time has passed this time of gloom and anguish that he describes here in Isaiah chapter 8 has passed. That's not the case anymore. The darkness is giving way to light. And that's where we find ourselves as we end our time together this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 directly connects to the New Testament about Jesus Christ. I want to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the great light that would dawn. Jesus was the hope for ancient Judah as they faced the Assyrian invasion and occupation. He is, has been the hope for God's people every generation since, and he remains the hope for God's people now. So what that means for us given in these dark times that we are living in, we turn to Jesus. Jesus is our hope, and there really is no other hope. The protesters, the police, uh, the government leaders, the doctors and nurses and epidemiologists, our friends, our parents, none of these people embodies hope. Only Jesus embodies hope. Now, we all have a part to play in doing the right thing in this world. I don't mean to downplay that, but we cannot skip Jesus and expect to find any real hope in dark times. He is the hope. And so he came on the scene and started his ministry. And when he did, it fulfilled what we just read back in Isaiah about light coming to those who are walking in darkness and dwelling in the land of deep darkness. It is Jesus who gives us the ability to see. It is Jesus who relieves us of that feeling of doom and despair that come from living in dark times, in a darkened world. I want to encourage you in response to these passages to let every dark feeling that you have and every dark news headline and happening trigger in you a turn toward Jesus first. 
Now, there may be action for you to take in terms of good deeds and deeds of justice and righteousness, but don't skip the first step of turning to Jesus and remembering that he alone is the hope. He alone is the light. Now, I'll give you two specific ways to turn toward Jesus that come straight from God's word. The first comes from John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and that is to repent. His two-point sermon was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we start with repentance. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So that's our first response to the light of Jesus Christ, is repentance. Turn from our our ways, our sin, our self-sufficiency, receiving God's grace and mercy and forgiveness through Christ, and turning toward Jesus. That's got to be the first reaction when we want hope. First, let the Holy Spirit examine us and reveal the sin that's within us, the darkness within us that we need to purge through repentance and receiving Jesus' grace. And then the second step is to embrace the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If we want to receive the hope of Jesus as the great light, first we need to repent, and then we need to embrace his kingdom, his rule, his ways. And for that, I want to read Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So this is sanctification. This is holy living. This is living obediently in light of King Jesus's commands and his ways. Those are the first two steps. We do not need to go out protesting until we have repented and embraced the kingdom of heaven. We do not need to try to reform policing until we have repented and embraced the kingdom of heaven. We do not need to put on our face mask uh, to protect from the virus until we have repented and embraced the kingdom of heaven. That's got to be step one. And then there's all kinds of good actions that will follow. But if we skip step one, we go through it with darkness still in our hearts and we carry darkness with us into our actions and words. We want to be light, sons of light, like the Bible describes us. In order to do that, we have to have the light of Jesus Christ within us. Repentance and embracing his kingdom are the way to do that. So my hope for you, as it was for those this morning, for our whole church, is that we would be a hopeful people. In the midst of dark times, people would look at us Christians and they would see hope and joy, and that it would be evident that that hope and joy come from a singular source, Jesus Christ, the true hope, the true light.